Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Back on another episode of Gentleman's World. I'm back, and a lot's happening. Not even happened, but happening right now. Today's episode, I'm going to give some updates on the podcast. First, foremost, on this Monday morning. And this is more for next week, but I want to tell you about it now. I've got uh, one person that I'm going to be recording with. They're scheduled, at least, for this week. That person's episode, if that goes correctly, should air on Monday. So if you're interested in our next guest, then you're going to want to check Monday's episode coming up. Then I have another person who was scheduled this week. They've rescheduled for their recording to happen the following week, the 24th. So theirs is going to be delayed to that week after that, uh, because I'm pretty sure they're also on a Thursday. So given the update cadence for the show being Monday and Wednesday, I'm now targeted the recordings for guests to be Tuesdays and Thursdays or the weekend if they're available, whichever is more convenient. And this works best for the way I record because that allows me time. If they schedule on a Tuesday, they're pretty much going to show up on the Wednesday's episode. If they don't record till Thursday, they'll show up on the Monday's episode. That allows me the time to balance all of the different podcasts we have. And for those that are new or recently listening, and just to reiterate for those that are existing, of course, the site now for Gentleman's World is casualtalkradio.net, where you'll find all the various platforms that Gentleman's World is on, which currently is Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, and uh, I'm pretty sure it's also on Audible as well as CastBox now is new. So I have started dedicating more time and attention to Gentleman's World's development, but Gentleman's World takes a very laid back approach to what it does because it, it caters to a different audience. The age bracket is skews older. And as a result, I want to make sure that it's not information overload. I also had to add some predictability to the recording because that was something I needed to resolve. Moving it to the new platform, Anchor, which has taken very well care of us. And I've been happy with the results so far. And then I started introducing the guests. And of course, I've been increasingly happy with that. And then I continue to screen guests on a regular basis. I actually have to go in and review some uh, candidates here shortly. So today's episode, that's all my updates that I have for the past. Today's episode now I want to talk about some, I was doing some reading on a subject that for the target audience here, those listening, I believe some will resonate with it currently. Some may have resonated with it from some past situation and some will encounter it at some point, I suspect. I hope not, but I suspect this to be the case. I was reading up earlier this morning. I woke up and it was like 5 a.m. and I'm in the Pacific time zone and I started seeing kind of messages that were coming across around age discrimination in the hiring and the workplace and everything. Now, I've known many people that have worked well into their 70s, mostly because of the cost of living. They needed to sustain their level of living and they had to keep working. And I know that it's a thing, right? Age discrimination is a thing. We know it's a thing. We also know it's illegal for those in the United States, at least, it's illegal. The problem is that our very laws enable companies to discriminate by age, and there are very discreet ways that they do this. 
So as I'm reading all this content, it got me thinking around resumes and applications and ATS online automated application systems and the, the, the push to get away from faxing and all of these different things that I believe there's a connection, there's a correlation to why we're seeing the shift towards what we're seeing the shift towards. And that's what I want to talk about today's episode is to focus on this, where our system in the United States enables that very same age discrimination. Let's start at the beginning. At some point in the past, and I believe I mentioned this on an older episode, feel free to go back in the archives. I do encourage it, casualtalkradio.net. But what we used to be able to do is to mail or fax or hand deliver a resume to a company who was looking for someone and pretty quickly get a phone interview. After the phone interview, we would then presumably go into the office for a face-to-face interview and we would dress up for this interview, obviously, and then we would get a contact back with a very short period of time span between the initial contact and this follow-up to extend an offer. And the offer was a very, I'd say, two-sided process. We would receive the offer as this is what we're offering you in terms of salary and benefits. And we often had the opportunity to question or request different benefits like a relocation package or a higher salary based on credentials or something. But it was a very personable process. There was not as much technology, hardly any, in front of the process. We may have had email. We may have had a fax machine. For the most part, that's what we had. Fast forward a little bit, I'd say probably 10 years. We start to see the rise of online applications now. And the online applications were very slim. It was mostly asking demographic information, who you are, what your address is. And then it didn't initially require that you key in all of your work history because they just said, attach your resume and we'll use that to reference your work history. You were always recommended on the resume then to detail your dates of employment, to detail if you had education, your dates that you attended these different educational outlets it would encourage, strongly encourage you to put your address. It would encourage you to put all this points information. Time passes and ATSs start to become a thing. These companies sell these businesses on this idea that it's cheaper to simply have a computer read the resume for you. But in order for the computer to best understand whether this person's a fit, quote unquote, in your organization, let's create this system where we'll tell the applicant to key all that data into the ATS. And of course, that's applicant tracking system. The applicant tracking system effectively asks you or requires you to enter information that starts, I believe, the process for age discrimination. Let me break down why. When you are required to enter your entire work history or they'll ask you for 10 years of work history back or seven years of work history back and it requires you to put education, it requires you to put all these things and it explicitly requires you to put dates. Let's assume that you're like many, for those listening to the show, that you're like our parents, right? And you got your degree sometime in say the 60s, right? Or the 70s. If you got your degree in the 60s or the 70s, your degree is still valid for the purposes of the credential that you earned, whether that was an associate's or a bachelor's or a master's, 
it's still valid as far as the school is concerned because that's the inherent flaw in our education system is that we issue a certification at a point in time, I'm referring to a college degree, at a point in time to certify that this person has certain fundamental knowledge that they've gleaned or that they've proven during the college experience. And we expect that the majority of this education and knowledge has not significantly shifted over the span of time. For example, political science, government. I actually have gone through multiple political science classes in high school, and then I took a couple of classes when I went to college. Nothing's really changed in the concepts that they teach in poli-sci. The fundamentals of poli-sci have not changed. What has changed are there are new rules. There are new laws, right? There's new interpretations of certain laws. Roe v. Wade is up for question. And so there's interpretations that may have changed. Certain new laws have come into play. Certain interpretations may have been revisited for whatever reason. But the concepts behind poli-sci have not changed. So if we accept that the concepts around poli-sci and government and all these core classes, math, right, English, all of these, the basics have not changed. Math, how we do math has not changed. The rules behind certain things have not changed. The English language has not changed. Then we can accept that there's no valid reason to continually take those classes over and over and over again for the rest of your life. It doesn't make any sense. Writing, reading, writing, arithmetic. There's no reason to take these classes over and over again for the rest of your life because the rules behind them don't change with the passage of time. Then you start to get into the specialty type courses. Here's one number one of the flaw of our college system, I would argue. The core classes are the ones that they don't focus on. So if you have a liberal arts type degree, or let's say it's, you know, a bachelor of arts. So maybe it's not a true liberal arts, but it's bachelor of arts. The bachelor of arts degree focuses more on these core courses that don't significantly change. The bachelor of science degree then does change and focuses on the core or should the core material for that degree. So if you have a bachelor's of science in electrical engineering, the majority of classes are supposed to be around electrical engineering. Electrical engineering conceptually has not changed. The fundamentals around it have not changed over time. When you get into things like computer science, and then of course we've made up other ones, information technology became a thing, computer information systems became a thing, you know, we have web development as a dedicated thing where it wasn't before. We've now created all these other variations of a thing. I would argue the same is still true. In web development, the concepts behind web development have not changed. What's changed is the languages. I'm using web development as one example. The languages that are available are now new and are now different, but they are still fundamentally based on the languages we had before. The same is true on computer science. Computer science has deviated from what it used to be because computer science has focused heavily on math because at a point in the past, development was very math-oriented with C++, Pascal, etc. In the new world, quote-unquote, your C-sharps of the world, your VB.nets of the world, I would argue Pythons of the world, are not math-heavy. They do need math, 
but no more math than you would have already learned in high school. The college still imposes upon you, though, excessive amounts of math because they don't know if you're going to need it or not. It's kind of, well, you might need this at some point. I challenge anybody who has a computer-oriented master's, bachelor's, whatever degree to tell me the last time that they did any sort of, let's say, trigonometry that they needed to do it as part of their job, or is it more the case that they had some tool called an IDE, Integrated Development Environment, that did 95% of it for them. The rest of it was referencing an SDK, Software Development Kit. You already knew where to go to get the answers. What you needed was the problem. College doesn't teach you that part. It doesn't teach you about problems. It teaches you about tools. Math is a tool that should help you write better code. The truth is you can still write solid code regardless of levels of math that you have. You do need fundamentals. The fundamentals are the same that you would have learned in high school. Chances are. There are applications for learning a couple of different increased levels of math as you go to college, one or maybe two classes, maybe just to reaffirm, reaffirm rather, that you have certain core fundamentals, but you don't need to have the excessive amounts of math that are imposed upon you. But if you do go to those classes, the fundamentals don't change over time. So if you went through that 30 years ago, it doesn't matter that we're here now and you haven't stepped foot in a math class in 30 years. The concepts around developing code, the concepts around creating websites, the concepts around databases, the concepts, the core concepts of a thing don't change over time. Only the languages themselves, the technologies themselves. You're not, you're predisposed not to go after every single new thing that spins up now because there's so many new things spinning up. I remember when C-sharp was the go-to, and as long as you were able to do C-sharp, most people would be receptive if they were a Java shop, let's say, because Java as a technology can be picked up pretty easily if you knew C-sharp and vice versa, because they're derived from one another. It's similar syntax. Then it's just a matter of learning how that company works the code. This is how it used to be. Today, if you, you might have 30 years experience in C-sharp and you go to a Java shop and they won't even talk to you because you have this much C-sharp, but you don't exactly have Java, you might've taken classes in Java. You might've taken four years of classes in Java. You never needed to apply it in a workspace, but you have the concepts of object-oriented programming. You know how to do it if you need to. The rest is all SDK and understanding the development process within that company but they won't even speak to you because you haven't worked at a company that did it. If you're never given an opportunity to work for a company to learn and actually do it in the trenches, you're in that same rut. All of this is because, and it's, I'm picking on technology predominantly because it's the worst offender from my perspective, but all of this is symptomatic of the reliance on internships in historical situations the internship was a given. You would always do it. And that's where you would get at least some work experience that you could put on a resume in an application to say, yes, I did work for a company. And yes, I wrote some of this code, even though it didn't do you much good because every time you go to a new company, you have to learn the way they do it. It doesn't matter if you know how to do this functionally at company A, the, fun, the foundation of it, 
company B has a totally different process for how they do it. In code, that's how we structure the code, whether we abstract certain functions to separate sub-functions and UI code interface versus back-end code, how we do integrations. Are we integrating with this language or this language over here? Are we doing this one as an out-of-the-box solution versus code? There's nuances to how we do it. All of this speaks to the fundamentals. Anybody that has the fundamentals can more easily adapt to those changes. Somebody who's only ever known book smart and then go to an internship likely is going to struggle trying to go to a different company because they'll realize a lot of what they thought they knew. Now you got to rethink and relearn stuff. I've written code before, but the VB.net code that I wrote helped me adapt to C sharp, but I still had to understand the way that that company needed me to write the code. It was fundamentally different. It wasn't the same. I was able to do it because I had the concepts of object oriented programming and I had an opportunity given to me by the director who I wrote an article about because she gave me a problem. This is the problem. You got two weeks to solve it. And I made the decision that I'm going to use code to write it. And I was able to research and figure out how to make it work and then solve it. Then I get better as I get those opportunities when you're limited. And I I've talked to tons of companies that are like this and I don't know why. When you're limited in a groove where the company, all they can fixate on is, I just need a person to sit in a chair and do this. I need a person to sit in a chair and just be a business analyst and gather requirements. That's all you're going to do for the rest of your life. I need a person to be a project manager. You're going to sit there and manage projects the rest of your life. And there's no desire to allow people to grow and develop naturally and create more skill set of people, maximize and use people. I actually... I spoke to one of the states, the United States, one of the organizations in charge, and I was telling this person, it's, I know that you're getting these requests that say, I just need a PM project manager, or I need a business analyst, or I need a developer, or I need a customer service rep, or I need a, an admin assistant, or I need a whatever. It's a single role that they just want to sit in a chair and just follow orders. That's all that people ask because they're too busy trying to fill this one-off need and not thinking about value big picture. And what I said to this person was, it's a sales pitch. This, the reason that that's happening is because the people in charge, like this person, like our governments, everybody that's in charge is not telling the business, you're doing this wrong. You need to be looking for value. And value comes by way of those people like myself and like many others who come in and say, look, I can do this one-off spot thing you need, but you got to realize there's more to me than what you're asking for. And all I'm asking of you is that you maximize the use so that there's value presented. And I said, if you have to just freaking sing the song to the guy or a lady so that they kind of resonate with it, it's a sales pitch. Just keep on using me till you use me up. Sing if you have to, but get them to understand Value is beyond your spot need. The more you focus on your spot need, the less likely it is you're going to move beyond every time you're spinning up these stovepipe spot needs and you're not understanding, you probably already have valuable people that can come in. Where does this come into play with age discrimination? It's simple. When you have somebody who fresh graduates from college, so they've gotten out of high school, they went to college for their two years or four years, and they're fresh out of college, they may or may not have done an internship, they're now applying for a job, those people are struggling because they don't have the work experience 
that the companies want. They don't have the work experience because the companies are not willing to give those people an opportunity to learn on the job. They're wanting somebody else to shoulder that burden, and that's wrong. So number one. Number two, you have very highly educated, very highly skilled people that have been in the trenches for decades that bring a wealth of experience and exposure. And they've learned over time, all the mistakes that we see companies make. And we want to use our knowledge and skills and experience to benefit a company that's going to take care of us. We know that companies have money available. They could pay us fair wages and they could pay us what we want. And that we know that it should be a negotiation. You have a problem. I know I can solve your problem. Let's talk about your problem. Don't worry about tools. It doesn't matter. Let's come to consensus that, yes, it sounds like you've got a good case or you can solve my business problem. I'll ask for a certain rate and we negotiate until we get to a 50-50. None of them are willing to do that. Instead, it's I got a spot need. That's all I care about. I don't. If you have other stuff, we're going to treat you as overqualified, quote unquote. You've heard that. Overqualified is number one on the list for how they're able to identify and exclude based on age. Because I have had situations where I've been in a position where I needed to hire somebody and I've been presented with somebody that was truly overqualified, but it had no bearing on the length of experience. We are talking somebody whose credentials exceeded that of my CIO. I couldn't justify presenting them an offer for a tier one position because they truly have higher credentials than the highest position in my organizational chart. That person is never going to approve that person. That's over-credentialed. That's overqualified. Overqualified in the way most companies do it is they see that you got 10, 20, 30 years of experience in a thing, and you're looking for a basic position. Perhaps you're trying to lower your stress level. Maybe you just started up a family. Maybe you have a military family and you're a single parent and you're trying to just get some income. Maybe you just want an easier job. Maybe you want the benefits. Maybe you like the culture. Maybe you want to relocate. Your motivations are your own, but you try to apply for these and you're turned down because they say you're overqualified because you have decades of experience. Then they'll start probing. So overqualification is number one on the list. Number two, they'll start probing. Okay, tell me, and it's always the same questions, right? When you go through the interview process, assuming you even get this far, it's always the same questions. Why are you looking for a new position? The reason that they're asking that question goes again to age discrimination because they're going to disqualify you based on your answer. You can never give the best answer on this unless you lie. And I'm saying that in full confidence that what I'm saying is the truth. Here's how that works. If you fit in this category, let's say, again, it's a single parent and you just need to get a secondary income or get an income because you lost your secondary income and you do the application and you get an interview, assuming you do, and they say, what's the reason that you're looking? And you say, I lost my secondary source of income. I just need a source of income. They're going to assume that you're going to up and leave, that you're not long term. If you say, well, I like your culture. They're going to they're going to be skeptical of you. And then they're going to do all these crazy tests that have nothing to do with the work, like psych tests and evaluations and all this. And then they'll disqualify you because you weren't a cultural fit, quote unquote. Cultural fit is number two on age discrimination. Why? Because if the company's culture skews younger, you're necessarily not going to have a cultural fit for an applicant that is skewing older. 
This is common sense. We know that to be the case. We know that if you have, if your organization predominantly hires people who are, let's say, 18 to 30, and you have this applicant come in that's 40 to 50 years old, this older applicant's not going to be a cultural fit with the younger people because they are different generations. You're not going to have it. Companies that force, quote, cultural fit, they are discriminating on age by design. But you saw the rise of cultural fit, quote unquote. You see how it's been increasing through different organizations because it's the way for them to create an excuse. And the United States, at least, government enables them to do that. It does not ban the idea of a cultural fit. It doesn't tell these companies, no, you cannot have a cultural fit because of age discrepancy. You're trying to force this person who's older to act like a teenager. That's what you really want. If you've got a good old boy culture in your company of young people who party and they listen to, I don't know who the current groups or whatever are, but they listen to that young music and they wear skinny jeans and they all have glasses and they're all hipsters and they all work in open floor and they all like that. And yet somebody who's older, who's used to cubes and maybe working from home is is new to them, but they're willing to embrace it, but they understand that they got to have meetings every now and then. These are cultural differences that no company really wants to embrace or address. So overqualification, number one, you just have too much experience. That's a form of age discrimination. Number one, cultural fit. Cultural fit by its very definition is a form of age discrimination because if your company predominantly skews a certain age range, and you're trying to have applicants in a different age range, and you're trying to force a cultural fit, you are practicing age discrimination. Whether you admit it or not, it is factually the case. The, the solution to this is to make sure that your company does not skew any one way. You should have a very balanced distribution of ages. That means you can't just keep hiring people fresh out of college, young kids out of college because you like the college degree. And many states actually have written it in rules that if you're saying you prefer college candidates, you're practicing age discrimination in a form because you know that recent college graduates skew younger. It's a form of discrimination. The way they get around it is because they'll just document that, well, we need the degree for the qualifications. We need it for the job. We need it for the work. People like myself and others who do skew older, but we have consultative background, we can look at it and see this job does not require that degree you're requiring. You're requiring it because you can, because the government allows you to, but you're lying because you're saying that you need it to do the work and you don't. How do we know this? Because there are tons of people, literally thousands, hundreds of thousands that are working in those jobs that don't have that degree. And you would not hire them if they applied to you because they're going to ask too much money. You would say, can't find the workers we need. And then you would try to outsource. And when you outsource, you know that in other countries, they're more likely to come in with a high level, like master's type degree because it's less expensive. They don't have any work experience, but they're so much cheaper. You're willing to give them a chance. It's all that part of the game. So college education isn't a bad thing. The point that I've always ever only made is it's being used as an excuse because recent college graduates are more likely to skew younger. That doesn't mean that you don't say that this, this particular job opportunity is open and available to recent college graduates. 
as long as you consider those that are not recent college graduates in all fair consideration, you're fine and good to go. But many companies recognize that if you are older, you're assumed that you're coming in with so much experience that you should be going to this other position, which brings me to my final statement around age discrimination in the transparent form, age discrimination by virtue of the assumption of where you should be targeting. You have people, probably a lot of people listening to this, that have accumulated a lot of work experience over time. And your work experience may have focused in one area. The job market has presented this bias of if you've ever only been in the medical field, you're just going to stay medical for the rest of your life. You should not want to change. You shouldn't want to all of, all of a sudden become a teacher. Or if you've been a teacher that you want to go into construction or that if you've been in construction that you want to go to technology. Why are you wanting to change? You have 20 years in engineering. Why don't you stay there? The job market does not embrace people that change their mind or change their priority or that there could have been some mitigating reason that's none of their business as to why they're shifting their priority. A good example of this is you could have somebody who worked the oil rigs and perhaps they got injured, but they had from college education on computer science. And so then now they want to go into a desk job where they're doing some maybe accounting or maybe they're doing development. It's hard to get in development, but whatever, or help desk. They're trying to now use this education that they spent tens of thousands of dollars on to work for a company because they got injured in the oil rig. They can't work it anymore. You get in, and again, the first question is, well, why are you looking for a new opportunity? If you divulge that, hey, I, was, I got worked oil rig, I got injured, they're going to discriminate against you for disability reasons, number one. Let's say you don't say that and you say, I'm just trying to do a career change and get into something a little bit different. I took college courses around this. You're going to be discriminated because you don't have work history around it. Like their goal is to not qualify you, is to disqualify you, is to deny you the opportunity to get in there and learn on the ground. Because we should be embracing that you could learn as you go. Is it going to be harder? Sure. Does it take time? Absolutely. But that's how I believe we would build loyalty and trust as employers is if we embrace people that don't, regardless of their change, they're changing. It is what it is. I talked to people that when I was hiring, I talked to people that they're working some, like one gal was working at a radio station. And I was considering her for a, in this case, a marketing role. And she seemed excited and then she backed off. That's okay. No problem. I would still have considered her. I would have offered her the role if she was interested because even though she hadn't done direct marketing, I knew that she could learn it. You can learn that. It's not that hard. And I will support you learning as we go because I benefit by virtue of a lower salary that I have to offer you while you learn. And I gain your loyalty. Ideally, if I take care of you, you're going to be more loyal to my company and I can take care of your time. Many of these businesses don't operate that way anymore. And that's a shame because we're treating every single job opportunity out there as if we're hiring for fast food. We're just screening a random bunch of people. We put an ATS in front of it. The ATS asks you a bunch of stuff where it's automatically disqualifying based on everything I just said, right? It says, oh, there's too much job history. If it's greater than 10, we're going to disqualify it because it's too much. It's overqualified. The truth is, we assume that person's too old to do the work. We know what the deal is. Or the application will require you enter a date of birth. We don't, we're pretty sure, we can't prove, but we're pretty sure that when you put that date of birth in there, 
it's going to calculate your age. And there's somebody that has looked at that and has made a denial decision in their mind. It, they're too old. They're not going to be willing to learn anything. Or we're not going to even consider that candidate. We, how do we know this must be the case? Because they don't even reach out to talk to you and understand who you are. You could have a resume that is a perfect parallel match to the job description. And they don't even want to talk to you to understand you. Then if they do talk to you, it's trying to force a cultural fit despite them knowing full well that their current demographic skews to a certain age. And this applicant who doesn't fit in that age range is not going to be a cultural fit because age differences create cultural gaps and the culture gap should be embraced. But the company doesn't want anything that's outside of their culture. I talked to a company, this is last year. And I could tell their, what their culture was. They're all hipsters. I could tell this. That's fine. I don't mind working with and for them. They said, we are willing to consider all candidates. However, they were not willing to provide any exemptions around sticking something in your arm against your will, to which I had to tell them, under law, you need to provide exemptions, religious exemptions at minimum. You should be providing medical exemptions because there are disabled people and others who cannot take something stuck in their arms, especially not against their will. So you need to provide exemptions of some sort. These people proceeded to completely block me because they said, this is what it is and you got to do this. Automatically, I know that this is no longer, they're not, they would not be willing to consider anybody who's older because remember, more likely people who have a medical predisposition against those types of things are going to skew older. Not all. But mostly, if it's somebody who can't do it, they're going to skew older versus somebody who's like 18 to 24. Somebody 18 to 24, likely their system can take it. Even if there's a some sort of a rejection, they, their system would likely survive it. I'm not referring to like anaphylaxis. I'm saying in general, like if it's maybe they break out in hives, let's say, because of one of the ingredients. More if you're younger, you're able to kind of tolerate it. Your body can build up a tolerance to kind of deal with this. But then it opens the question, if you're identifying this as the subset where you just adamantly refuse to work with them and they're likely to skew older, you got that. And then on the young side, you want them to put their life at risk just because you're holding to a stance that is mostly shared by the younger demographic. It's mostly the younger demographic that wants to force a thing because they don't understand the Constitution and freedom and the Bill of Rights. So because our education system has failed a lot of them in the United States. So older people understand about personal freedoms and personal rights and medical safety. And we because most older people have gone through in a cyclical fashion periods where there's been this rush to a thing. Now, those are the people that are kind of being blockaded from opportunities because of what they know or they believe goes back to the whole cultural fit. You've got a culture who skews a certain age demographic. That age demographic believes a certain thing because they've been misled. And because of that belief, they're violating laws, openly violating laws that blockade older folks out. Then what happens? The older folks become dependent on the system. When they become dependent on the system, taxes go up. The younger people bear the brunt of this. Then they complain that the wealthy are taking all the money when the truth is, it's because we've created this system of age discrimination. It all ties in together. It's all one whole. I want to wrap up with a slightly unrelated point. It's related, but slightly unrelated. I think in what we've done 
as a society in the United States and how we have blockaded people out of the workforce, I honestly believe, this is me, I honestly believe it's strategic. I believe there's a strategic push to simply have youth put into positions where they can openly discriminate against those that are older because those that skew younger are the ones more likely to push liberal agendas. And those that skew older are less likely to support liberal agendas and more likely to be conservative. And those that are older have lived through periods where excessive socialism and liberalism have been harmful to society as a whole. And it took decades to break that narrative until we came full circle again. And I believe, again, this is me, that there's an active push to get younger people in positions where we can openly discriminate against older people so that they are empowered to affect their socialist and liberal agendas. This is what I believe because I can't come to any other conclusion as to why there would be such a resistance to age and experience telling us here's what we really should be doing if we want to move this forward safely and conservatively. Why we would see so many companies that are, you see on their websites, they're inundated with pictures of young hipster kids in skinny jeans now, where it used to be that you would see very nice, well-groomed men and women in suits and, and blouses and blazers, people that were well-educated, carrying briefcases. You would see cityscapes and, you know, New York, Times Square. You would see that there's a, a push for professionalism and a push for not maturity in the excessive, but you would see that there was at least the appearance that we wanted professionalism instead of just kids all over the site. Every service you can go to now, they're pushing the, again, hipster kids with skinny jeans all over their sites. How does that, how does that promote age equality? Because think about it. Your 60 year old person is not going to be walking around wearing skinny pants you know, and, and hipster hair at some point later, maybe they might toy with a new hairstyle, but they're not going to be doing those kind of excessive clothing styles, but anybody can wear a suit. Anybody can wear a blazer. These are more inclusive type clothing. Women can wear suits. They're more inclusive type clothing. Women that are older or women that are larger or disabled or whatnot, they're not walking around wearing skinny pants and low plunging neckline shirts. At least they hopefully aren't there, but anybody can wear a suit. Any, these are more inclusive, but yet the imaging imagery is steering away from the central inclusive type clothing imagery that we used to see all over sites for a professional image. Even if you were to build a site right now, and you look at their stock photos that are available, they're all filled with the, the hipster type imagery. It's harder now. It, it's harder to find the ones where you just see very professional looking adult people standing around a table in suits, talking and having meetings, which anybody can do of any age. They're pushing that agenda. They're pushing the, and that messaging, that imagery subconsciously creates and actually exacerbates in some cases the age discrimination because no matter where you go, there's this constant push towards youth to clothing that older wouldn't wear 
to buildings and, and desks and workspaces that older people wouldn't even be comfortable in. There's the push to remote, which can be good, but there's not a receptiveness to letting the worker choose. The worker should choose. What can, can you do the work? And if you can do it, you choose where you want to do it, as long as you get the work done. That paradigm, an older person can likely adapt to that better than being forced into an open floor plan with a bunch of open cubes, with a bunch of people chatting on, uh, watching TikTok videos all day long. That person is not going to fit in that, but that's the culture that's being created. If you look at, I believe it's Google and some of their, what they call their workspace, it's just a bunch of open chairs and couches sitting around. Your older folks, they're not used to that because it doesn't provide them what appears from experience to be the most efficient way of getting work done. It feels like it's catering to the youthful hipsters. That's fine, but consider that imagery and the impact it has on applicants. You're already setting a precedence that you are actively going against the youthful hipsters and that you are not embracing those that are older because you're putting this image all over the place. Amazon's the same way. Microsoft is getting to that point now the same way. All of these companies are the same way. I uh, forget the company that he's a uh, gravity payments, uh, Dan price. He is the definition of pushing youthful, pushing young, pushing away from older people and people celebrate him because of the 70,000 a year, but nobody has looked at and really analyzed the fact that his messaging, his imagery and everything he presents is anti age. It's, it's around pushing away people that are older that might add value to his company. Cause I guarantee you, if he were embracing, he might have, he'll probably come back and say, I got people older. Do, do, do. I'm talking embracing them. Your imagery does not promote younger imagery. It promotes inclusive across span, meaning you, Mr. CEO should be wearing a suit, nice suit. You don't have to wear a tie because women might not wear ties. We don't know, but you should wear a suit. You should be very presented. You should get rid of the long hair. You should be, looking professional and sending a message that it doesn't matter what your age is. Everybody can wear what I'm wearing. Your 60 year olds are not wearing the skinny pants that you wear. You know that you're wearing that because you want to appeal to the younger people out there. And I have the same message for all of these businesses that are promoting these youthful focused messaging, because what you're doing is you're transparently saying, and our government is allowing it that you really want the young people. That's who you want working for you. You don't want people who are older working your organization because if you did, you would have generic inclusive imagery. And I understand that the stock photo makes that hard. Perhaps you take your own photos. Perhaps you tell people we need to balance out our demo because it looks like we're skewing younger and that's not acceptable. We need to have a good blend. If that means that we have to turn down this 30 some odd year old because we, everybody here is 30 some odd year old and we need to get some older, you know, in, you can still consider that person, but you should not be favoring that person. There's a difference. That's all I got for today's episode. I'll be back on Wednesday. And again, it'll be me again, but I'll be back on Wednesday. And on Wednesday's episode, I'm going to dig into a completely different topic. This one I'm pretty much done with for now. I'm going to dig into a different topic on Wednesdays. And then of course, next week, I'm hopeful that we'll have another guest on the show. Uh, this is a different, completely different type of a guest. This guest has 
uh, written a book and then she has great stories to tell, some of which are comparable to my own. So it's going to be hopefully a storytelling type of endeavor. I will check back in with you guys on Wednesday. Thank you again for listening and for subscribing. Please share if anybody could benefit or value from these stories. And of course, with today's episode and the idea around age discrimination, if you are in a position where you can help buck that trend, please do share to your peers and try to see if we can help break it because I think it's getting worse before it gets better. Also, also, this is going to be shared out through LinkedIn because I want this, to, hopefully, to open up a dialogue. I don't think it will, but I hope that it will because I think there's too much that's happening that I'm even personally seeing myself now with messaging that I'd like to see that we get back to certain fundamentals because if we're not able to resolve this, you're blockading a lot of people out of the workforce, and if we can't get more people back to work that are more qualified... I think we're going to lose critical skills and because companies don't want to mentor and don't want to train people, I think what's going to happen, I get, I get terrified of what happens if now with pilots, right? We're just book teaching them and we're not willing to embrace possibly older pilots that have the experience of dealing with planes and situations. And then we go back to the world where planes are starting to crash. I'm this, that's one example, perhaps it's extreme. But that's the world I see coming if we don't embrace all years and all age ranges with the experience that these people have that's valuable to different organizations.